Drew and Jonathan Scott here to tell you that with the American Family Insurance Home Quote Tool, you can easily design a customized policy for your dream home right from the comfort of your couch. And fun paint fact, there are over 150 shades of white, like Hello White, Fluffy Bunny, Eggshell. They get it. Explore the AmFam Home Quote Tool at amfam.com home to learn more about your policy coverage options. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Products not available in every state. Introducing Venture X, Capital One's new travel card for people always asking, Where next? You earn 10x miles on hotels and rental cars and 5x miles on flights booked through Capital One Travel and 2x miles on everything else you buy with Venture X. Plus, receive premium travel benefits like access to over 1,300 airport lounges. The Venture X card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. These two things that we as a church need to prioritize in this time in which we live. In fact, this is something that the church has gotten wrong for centuries, centuries. And we understand that God is restoring, right? The Bible talks about that Jesus is held in the heavens till the restoration of all things, right? In Acts chapter 3, verse 20. So there's this thing, this work that God is doing to restore the church, you know, we, in Azusa Street, we see the coming of the Holy Spirit again. Then there's miracles, healing signs and wonders. You know, there's great uh, people being raised up in the 50s. We see that happening, the latter rain movement. Then we go into the charismatic renewal and then teaching. We see a restoration of teaching during that time. And then, you know, evangelism has kind of been happening. But then we get into um, the, the 80s, the 90s, and we see the prophetic and the apostolic starting to be restored. And that's all important because it's part of the restoration of the fivefold ministry of the ascension gifts. But I believe that in many places we prioritized um, or we've put the emphasis on the fivefold rather than on the kingdom. And you see, the kingdom is what Jesus told us to preach. He didn't tell us to preach the apostolic. He didn't tell us to preach the prophetic. And so we have churches that are all about the apostolic, all about the prophetic, you know, and so on. And then what has happened is, is these churches are asymmetrical. And we have churches that are great teaching churches, churches that are evangelistic. We have ministries that focus on the prophetic. You know, we talk about the restoration of David's fallen tabernacle, which, by the way, is so much more than the restoration of praise and worship. If you really study that, David was all about the kingdom. It was restoring the kingdom because David was the one who brought the, the, the kingdom. He established the kingdom. It wasn't until David's day that the kingdom was firmly settled and established. So Jesus called the what? The son of David, right? So he came to establish the kingdom, right? And while he was among them for 40 days after his death and resurrection, he spoke many things to them pertaining to the kingdom. He didn't say pertaining to the prophetic, pertaining to how to worship God, pertaining to the kingdom, all right, so we have to understand, Jesus said in Matthew 24, 14, when they asked him, what will be the sign of your coming in in the end of the age? Verse 3 of Matthew 24, he said, when the gospel of the kingdom is preached as a witness to all the nations throughout the world, then the end will come. Okay, when? So, so you're t- I, yes, let me say this tonight. I'm going to shock some people, okay? And, and those who got their rapture shoes on, Okay, and you have an evacuation mindset. You ought to have an occupation mindset, not an evacuation mindset. 
we're getting ready to leave this world. I'll fly away one day. And Jesus said, we need to pray his kingdom and come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we just get me out of this cursed place. Get me out of here. And he said, no, I want your, you need to fix it. You need to make the earth a better place. Now, I'm not saying everybody's going to get saved. I'm not saying the world's going to become a utopia. But I am saying is that when Jesus was on the earth, he preached and demonstrated the kingdom. Do you know what it says in Luke chapter 8, verse 1? If you read it in the New King James, it says that he traveled throughout the villages and the cities preaching, and the King James says, and shooing the glad tidings of the kingdom. Shooing is an old Elizabethan word for what? Showing. So the New King James says, preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom. So he wasn't just declaring it, he was demonstrating it. So he was preaching and demonstrating the kingdom. So it's a powerful thing when we understand this. That's why it says in 2 Peter 3.12 that we should be looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. In light of the imminence of the end and Jesus' return, we should be looking for As I said last night, some translations say looking for and speeding up, hurrying along the coming of the day of God. Read it, guys. 2 Peter 3.12. It's in your Bible. I know a lot of people don't preach the word anymore, but it's in there. Everything we need is in the book, right? I mean, I know know people have said to me, are you going to tell us like how you went to heaven 57 times? And, And like, you know, I mean, I'm obviously exaggerating. And I said, I'm going to preach the word, and the word is going to set you free. Because Jesus said, if you continue in my word, you're my disciples indeed. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And I said, so if I preach the word and release revelation, that's going to change your life. Not my stories, not my testimonies. Those can add to, and they can encourage. But if you don't know the word, you'll never, ever become the person God has created you to be. So, so what happens is we have people that say all these things, and I, I'm sorry, I'm a theological geek, okay? I'm, I'm kind of a scholar. And because of that, what happens is I hear, and I go to churches, and I hear things in conferences, and I'm going, heresy, false, not true, unbiblical, taken out of context, that's eisegesis, not exegesis. Okay, and people are saying all these things, and yet when you read it in the Word, it's like, oh, well, I could go, I could ground some sacred cows into Hamburg meat right now, Hamburg right now, but okay, but I won't do that because some of you might get offended and turn me off. Uh, so, so I'd rather teach the Word and, and then bring it to you little bit my little, okay, so that you understand it. See, when they said to Jesus... Many believed, John 8, 30, while he preached. And to those who believed in him, he said, if you continue in my word, you are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. In the Greek, what it's saying is this. If you will continue in obedience to my word, seeking my word, desiring my word, obeying my word, then you will, he says, you will see that this this truth will release more and more freedom into your life. Read it in the Passion. That's what it says. It says the truth will release more and more freedom into your life. So it's it's all about that, releasing more and more freedom, right? We have people that have heard the stories. They speak the language, right? But they're still in bondage. They're still not walking in freedom. And and it's because they're not abiding in the word. 
We learn more theology. The, the modern day church, most of our so-called theology that we learn is what we read on Facebook. It's what we read on Facebook. It's true. It's not that we get in the word and we read the word. Okay? We're like, I listen to this one. I listen to that person. And what they said, but we don't know the truth. And here's what happens. For many people, then some heresy comes down the pipeline, and we are not even able to recognize it because we don't know the word. How did Jesus overcome Satan? His knowledge of the truth, right? His knowledge of the truth. See, this is, this is very important, what I'm sharing with you tonight. All right. So the truth, sanctify them by your word. No, by your truth, right? And your what? Your word is truth. That's what he said. So that's what it said in, it says in John 17, verse 17. So the truth sanctifies you, makes you whole, sets you free, makes you holy. The, that's what sets you free, the truth. Okay, so we started last night talking about the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom must be preached as a witness to all the nations of the world. What is the gospel of the kingdom? Let me just really quickly uh, recapitulate. Number one, it's the gospel of the king's dominion. Every kingdom has a king, has, has a domain or territory, and, and in that domain, in that realm, the Greek word is metron, in that metron is where authority is exercised. What that means is where Lynn and I were born, Canada, everybody knows our rock star prime minister, right? Justin Baby, right? Okay. <laughs> Who is like total, total, oh, he needs Jesus. But, but anyway, Justin Trudeau is the prime minister of Canada. That's his jurisdiction. He's not the prime minister or the president of the United States, right? So, so we, in the realm of the kingdom is where the king exercises his dominion. So if you're not in the kingdom of light, in the kingdom of God, guess whose kingdom you're in? And guess who exercises his dominion, his rule over you, right? Okay, so we, we looked at Isaiah 60 last night. It says that the, the d- desire or the goal of the devil is that darkness would cover the earth and deep darkness the peoples. That's, his, that's what he wants to do. I said that word, uh, deep darkness, means a lowering sky in Hebrew. It's something that's oppressive. It's something that suffocates us. And, and that's the idea. He's trying to steep the world in spiritual darkness. That's his desire. Basically, his kingdom would come, his will would be done on earth as it is in hell. Hello? Yes, first time you heard that one, right? By the way, that's not in the Bible, okay? So, uh, but the truth is, the truth is, that's his will. He wants the earth, his kingdom to come, and his will to be done on the earth. I'm talking about Satan now, uh, right? On earth as it is in hell. That's what he wants. So, of course, we know the Lord's desire is the antithesis. His kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we saw in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14, that the Lord desires that the knowledge of the glory would cover the earth as the waters fill the sea. That's what he wants. So he wants the earth to be covered, to be filled with the glory of the Lord. To be filled is actually the word. So what has happened is there's this contest. There's this, these two kingdoms that are in conflict. There's the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of God, right? Satan is working hard to, to get people, to destroy them. 
And then God is working to save people, to set them free, to deliver them. But it's ultimately, we make the decision whom we're going to serve. We make the decision whom we're going to serve. And so I mentioned to you last night that the goal of each one of us is really to move in the power of the Holy Spirit to such a degree that we cause people to experience the opening of their spiritual eyes. That's what Paul was called to do. He said that you would turn people from from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God. So listen to this. The, The nicest person out there in the world, okay, if they don't know the Lord... And by the way, many people that do know the Lord are still under the, under the rule and reign of Satan. How do I mean by that? Because why? Because the way they think. They don't have the mind of Christ yet. Remember Peter? Lord, Lord, you'll never go to the cross. What did Jesus say? Peter, don't be so silly. I know you love me. He said, get behind me, Satan. You are not mindful of the things of God. You are mindful of the things of man. So when we are carnally minded, when we're thinking about the earthly things, then the Bible says that the carnal mind is at enmity with God. Romans chapter 8, verse 7. The carnal mind is is hostile to God. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. So so we have this people that think in worldly ways, in worldly terms, and they operate from a paradigm that is not a kingdom paradigm. See, not only are the, it's the world operate from a paradigm that is not kingdom, but many in the church operate from a paradigm that is not kingdom. It's all about filling a building with people, but God wants to fill people with himself. And as we are filled with him, then we carry the knowledge of the glory of the Lord everywhere we go. And we release that. We diffuse the aroma of Christ. We release the glory of God wherever we go. So we were created in the image and likeness of God. We saw that last night. And the word that is translated image actually is is selim in Hebrew, and it literally has the idea of casting a shadow. And so the idea is we're casting the very shadow of God. We're carrying the very shadow, the very glory and the anointing of God. And then we see in Acts 5, right, Peter's shadow. These people are like, this guy is so full of the glory that if we can just get the sick and lay them on the street, that when he walks by, his shadow will fall upon them and they'll be healed. That's what they reasoned. And you continue to read this in Acts 5, and it says great multitudes came, and they literally filled the street with the sick and people that were demonized. And it says that as Peter walked by, they were all healed, they were all delivered and set free. That is crazy. That is crazy. Now, what is that? That is a picture of our potential. That is a picture of our potential. Now, remember, Peter spent three years with Jesus being discipled, being prepped. Okay? Because who is Jesus? The son of man. Jesus learned to operate and carry the glory. He lived in the glory. He operated in the glory. And he carried that glory everywhere he went. There's so many things when you read the scripture closely, when you read the gospels in particular in Jesus' life, you see that he was otherworldly. You see that he came from a different dimension. Think about this. In Luke 5, right, Peter's like, Jesus gets in the boat and he says, Peter, go out and and launch out into the deep. And Peter's like, Lord, we fished all night. We didn't catch anything. Like you're a carpenter, no offense, Jesus. I'm a professional fisherman. 
You don't know what you're talking about. But just to get you on my case, I'll do it. So he goes out and he lets down the net, right? And what happens? Boom. This amazing catch of fish. And then what ends up taking place is at that point, Peter looks at Jesus and he goes, OMG, right? Like basically. And then, and then, and then he's like, whoa, whoa, away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. That's what he does. And so Jesus is like, Peter, chill out. Like, you know, don't be afraid is what he said. Don't be afraid. So for the, he said, look, from now on, you're going to catch men. Now think about this. Why did Peter respond that way? If Jesus just had power, but he didn't have glory, and he didn't operate in holiness and the spirit of holiness, Peter would have said, oh, this is so good. Jesus, I got the fishing accoutrements. I got the boats. I got the nets. You got the gift, 50-50. Let's split. Okay? But he didn't. He was like, oh, because why? Because Jesus wasn't a magician. Jesus was holy. He was powerful. He lived in the glory. And if people couldn't handle it. Remember the story when the Gadarian demoniac, I mean, the first miracle, even before we go there, according to Mark's gospel, the very first miracle, Jesus walks into the synagogue. And as he walks into the synagogue, he's walking into the synagogue. So he walks into church. And what happens is some man looks at him and says, the demons in them says, Jesus Son of the Most High God, what do you want? Have you come here to torment us before our time? Right? Now, listen, I am quite sure that man was a frequent, regular attender, a member of that synagogue. But that never happened before. He's the one who has authority. He's not like the scribes and the Pharisees. He has authority. The demons cry out, when Jesus walks into a room, when Jesus shows up. The Gadarian demoniac, right? When, when the Gadarian demoniac manifests a legion, 6,000, and what happens is he says at that point, okay, we're going to cast like this into the pigs, right? Into the swine, right? In the Decapolis area. So what happens? They go over the cliff, right? And what happens? The, the Gadarian, he's like, Jesus... I want to follow you. I want to be with you. And, and Jesus is like, you know, he said, no, no, go and tell your family, your friends, the great things the Lord has done. And then the people who own the pigs come out and notice their reaction. It's not like Jesus, oh, my, you are so powerful. We want to follow you. We want to worship you. They're like, Jesus, get out of here. Leave. Go, go, go. The glory, the anointing, the real power of God will make you glad or it will make you sad. It will even make you angry. And it makes religious people angry. Sinners follow Jesus. They frequented Jesus. But religious people got angry with Jesus because he convicted them of their self-righteousness. He convicted them that they, they were the way they were living. Listen to me. The way of the kingdom is completely different. 
You see, the way that God manifests himself is through, through, through Jesus and through you and, and I today is through grace. It's through grace. You know, the Holy Spirit is called the spirit of grace, right? Zechariah 12, verse 10, Hebrews 10, 29. He's called the spirit of grace. In 1 Peter 4, 14, he's called the spirit of glory. The spirit of glory. He's the spirit of glory. So what happens is, you know, in the beginning, he says, look, you were made in the image and likeness of God. And we saw Isaiah 43, 7 says that we're created for his glory. Everyone whom I've created for my glory. There's so many scriptures that talk about how we were created for the very glory of God. And, you know, Jesus came to restore the glory. The son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. I said last night, that which was lost, not those that are lost, that something was lost, past tense. What was lost? Adam and Eve forfeited the glory in the garden because the glory was their covering, according to, according to Psalm chapter 8, verse 5, that you crowned them with glory and honor. And that word crowned, as I said last night, means to surround, to envelop, to encompass. It can mean to cloak. It can mean to clothe. So they were clothed and they had glory garments. But when they sinned, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory, their glory garments were stripped from them. And that's why they realized all of a sudden that they were naked. Everything that God has created has a covering. So what ends up happening is Jesus comes to restore that which was lost. To restore the glory, to restore the authority or the dominion that was given them. In fact, the glory is, the authority is in the glory. So what happens is, is the devil. So Satan, you know what happens? Jesus comes out of the wilderness, right? And he, he's been tempted by the enemy. And, and, you know, he comes forth. The Bible says that he was led by the spirit into the wilderness. And Luke's account, and it says he, he returned to Galilee in the power of the spirit because he passed the test, right? If you want to have a testimony, you've got to have a test. So Jesus overcame by the things that, that the enemy brought against him. But while he was in the wilderness, check, watch this, watch this. In Luke's Gospels, chapter 4, verses 5 through 7, the devil takes him up on a high mountain. He shows him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. We're talking about kingdom tonight now. And the enemy shows him all the kingdoms of the world. Now remember this, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight. So he shows him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you and their glory. For this has been given to me, delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. Now listen to this. The devil knew why Jesus had come. Most Christians today believe that Jesus came to the earth to die for our sins So we could be forgiven and not go to hell. And that's part of the truth of the gospel. And by the way, I believe in hell. But ultimately, ultimately, that's not the reason. Why? If that was the only reason or even the primary reason for Jesus coming, then the best thing our Lord could have done was God to the cross, died, and then the moment that you were born again, the moment that I was born again, kill us because he knew we would mess it up. So let me take you out before you mess up, right? But he left us here. He gave, he left us here on the earth. He gives, and Jesus didn't just, you know, he didn't just come out of the wilderness and go to the cross. For three and a half years, the Bible says in Acts 10, 38, he went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil because he was anointed by the Holy Ghost and power. 
So he came to model, he came to show us how we are to live. Because he's the firstborn among many brethren. As he was in the world, so are we. So we are to live the way he lived on the earth. 1 John 2, 6 says, If anyone says he abides in him, let him walk even as he himself walked. So we are to live the way he is. Luke six forty: the student is not above the teacher, but whenever the student has been perfectly trained, he will be like his teacher. See, we're called to be like Jesus. That's what it means to be a disciple, is to be like Jesus. A disciple is someone. It says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, Paul said, imitate me or follow me as I imitate Christ. What was Paul saying? He said, you can follow me. I'm a leader, but I'm also a follower. In the Greek language, the word that is translated imitate or follow literally is the word mimic. Mimic. And so the idea is he's saying, look at me. If you want to know how to live as a Christian, Paul said, look at me. Follow my example. Why? Because I'm following Christ. I'm following Christ. See, Jesus is not with us on the earth, obviously. So we cannot look to him and say, well, you know, Jesus is doing this and he's doing that. We look to the word. We read the gospels. But how many remember that Jesus himself said, John said that if everything Jesus did were written down, like, come on now. Come on now, we got four Gospels that just give us a brief insight. They're inspired, and they're they're powerful, and they give us a good overview, but ultimately, they don't record everything that Jesus did. Remember, we get into Acts chapter 20, verse 28, and all of a sudden, we we see this verse that says, and remember what the Lord Jesus himself said, is more blessed to give than to receive. That's what Paul says, and then you go, oh, Jesus said that. Yeah, go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. It's not in there. But remember what Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. It's not in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. You see? So there's a lot of things that he said that we don't know. So, so we read the word, but then we still don't understand the complete, um, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? The, 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 the portrayal of who Christ is, we don't understand it clearly just from reading the scripture. The scripture as the graphe, as the written word. We say sometimes the logos of God. But ultimately, Jesus was the logos. And so if you want to see who Jesus is today, according to what Paul said, come on now, remember Peter says, this dude Paul, man, he's hard to understand sometimes. He's like, he's deep, man. Like Paul deep, you know, he says some things that are really complicated and, like, they're hard to understand. Paul's deep, right? That's what Peter says in Second Peter. So Paul is deep, right? And so what ends up happening is, like, Paul says basically this. I'm just going to paraphrase it. He said, look, God the Father created Jesus. In him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily, right? That's in the Word. It's in Colossians. But then he said, Colossians 1, 9, I believe it is. So then he says this. He says this, okay, if you want to see Jesus, look at the church. Uh Uh-oh. I heard a great African-American preacher when I was in L.A. once at a conference say, the church is the mother, he said, even though she be a harlot at times. 
See, because the church is not, well, she should be, does not negate the fact that we are called to represent him and to manifest who he is on the earth. All right, so I said, where do you get this from? I'm glad you asked. I said this last night, Ephesians 3.19. Let me read it from the Amplified, Ephesians 3.19. Ephesians 3.19 says this, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is Paul's prayer for the church, okay? Paul's prayer for the church is that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Wow. Then listen to this, the Amplified. That you may be filled through all your being unto all the fullness of God, then in parenthesis it says that you may have the richest measure of the divine presence and become a body completely filled and flooded with God himself. Ephesians 1.23, Paul speaking about the church. He says the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. In the message, it's translated this way. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts, by which he fills everything with his presence. The Amplified Bible renders it this way, Ephesians 1.23. The church is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. For in that body lives the full measure of him who makes everything complete and who fills everything everywhere with himself. So we're saying... God says in Habakkuk 2.14 that the earth would be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. The earth would be filled not just with the glory of God, but with the knowledge of the glory of God. When translation says with an awareness of the glory of God, right? As the waters fill the seas. And then listen to this, as the waters cover the seas. So how is the earth filled? Through us. Through us. As we go forth, we fill the earth with the fullness of his glory. We are called to bring change. We are called to drive out darkness and bring in the light. That's why it says in Isaiah 60, verse 2, you know, it says darkness covers the earth and deep darkness the people. But verse 1 says, arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, or for behold, Darkness covers the earth. In other words, you need to arise and shine. The glory is on you. Take the glory, carry the glory, walk in the glory because the earth is full of darkness and the only way the darkness is going to be dissipated, the only way the darkness is going to be dispelled is a better word, is because we carry the glory. Ephesians 5.17 says, whatever is made manifest is made manifest by light. What do you do? If you go into a room and it's dark, you don't say, you don't curse the darkness and say, darkness, oh, come on, go, darkness, leave darkness, get out of here, darkness. What do you do? You hit a light switch and the darkness is gone. And yet many of us are cursing the darkness. We're praying against the darkness. And God says, you need to get into my glory. You need to be filled with my presence. You need to understand who I am so that you carry my anointing. You carry my glory. And everywhere you go, you are going to bring the light of my presence and my glory. Second Thessalonians 2, 14. 
Come on now, I'm preaching the word of God. Not my opinion. Not some subjective story about God told me if we do this, this, and this. And we're like, well, where's that in the word of God? Don't question it. God told me that. Like, come on now. I'm messing. Second Thessalonians 2.14. God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Did you hear that? God chose you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. In the truth. Okay, then listen to this. So to which he called you by our gospel. He called you by our gospel, Paul says, for the obtaining of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. He called you by the gospel for the obtaining of the glory. Wow. Come on. Jesus, just before he goes to the cross, he's praying. We read the account in John 17. It's the longest recorded prayer of Jesus. We call it his high priestly prayer. He prays for himself, his faithfulness to the Father. He prays for his disciples during that time. Then he prays for everyone who will believe in the generations to come and includes us today. And he says in verse 22 of that chapter, Father, the glory that you've given me, I've given them. I've given them the glory by Jesus' death and resurrection. The Holy Spirit, who is the spirit of glory, now abides in us. Now abides in us. The spirit is with you, he said, but soon he will be in you. But this he spoke of the, of the glorification. It says this he spoke of the spirit being given because he had not yet been glorified. He spoke of his death and his resurrection. He'd not yet been glorified. So after Jesus is glorified, he presents himself to his father as a first fruits offering. He comes back down and then he bleeds on them and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Then we know later on, as though it happens as they're in the upper room, they are filled, they are baptized with the Holy Spirit and from that point on the spirit of glory rests upon them because we understand this this is powerful guys don't forget this this is powerful even Peter from that point on because the word image again it means shadow to Salem in Greek Salem in Greek is is the word but then in in Luke 24 49 he says this in the King James he says but tarry ye in Jerusalem until you were endued with power from on high I just got to say the King James because some of you are that's the only way you remember it and it just seems much more when I quote it in the King James, but then it actually says in the Greek, but it says in the Greek, this is what it says. It says, but go to Jerusalem and sit down and sit down. And as you sit down, you just wait until you are clothed with power from on high. The word that is translated in dude means literally a word that means clothed. In fact, the NIV translates it clothed. And so what he's saying is I'm going to restore the glory garments that Adam lost in the garden. I'm going to restore it. I'm going to clothe you again with the glory of God. And so Peter from that point goes out and in the very glory that he carries, his shadow causes demons to cry out and come out of people. And here's Paul working away, making tents. 
and handkerchiefs and aprons are taken from him. Come on now. That was before COVID-19. <laughs> and they took the handkerchief and the apron and they placed it on demonized people, demon-possessed people. They put the handkerchief on them and the demons cried out. Hey, we've got so many demonized people in the church still. You know how many churches I go? I preached in a church. I won't tell you where it is. But it was in the media for, for, for having, it was a church that was in great revival. People were going there from all over the world. Hello. Okay. So I go there. I'm preaching. I preached a couple of nights there. And I go there. And I see, I see this woman. And the Holy Spirit speaks to me and says, son, tonight I'm going to deliver her. I just came off a lengthy fast. It was very, very sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And the Lord says to me, tonight I'm going to deliver her, son. I said, okay. So I gave an invitation. She is the first person to respond. She comes forward. She came forward and I said, ma'am, do you know the Lord wants to set you free? He wants to deliver you. And she looked at me and she shook her head and I prayed for her and I took authority. She fell out under the power of the Holy Spirit. Demons came out of her. And at that point, the elders and all of them gathered around. They looked and they're like, oh my gosh. So the service is over. The service is over. And then one of the ushers or the elders comes and he says to me, pastor wants to see you in his office. And I said, pastor wants to see me. He goes, yeah, you need to get into the pastor's office right away. I'm like, oh, my gosh, that wasn't his wife. (laughs) True story. I go into his office. This is what he says. He says, we need to repent before God. And I said, why? He said, that woman that was delivered, she's the prophetess of our church. She's the main prophetess in our church. She gives words. We listen to her. God has been, you know, and he said it started off X amount of years ago. She came and she started sharing things. And we said, oh, my gosh, how did she know? It's so accurate. And he said, so she started informing. She started speaking things. We listened to her. He said, but then things started getting strange. So we just felt like something's off here, you know. And, and then she's, he said, it just, it just like bothers. And I said, it's kind of like Paul in Acts chapter 16, you know. He and, he and Silas are traveling around, and, and this woman is following them everywhere they go. And she's saying, these men are servants of the Most High God, and they are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. Listen to them. Now listen to me for a second. There's nothing wrong with what that she was saying. These men were servants of the Most High God, and they were proclaiming the way of truth the way of salvation. And they should listen to what Paul and Silas were doing. But Paul became just agitated in spirit. He turned around, said, in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And the demons came out and she lost her power, her psychic abilities. She was stripped of her psychic abilities because they were spirit of divination. We know it's the spirit of Python, the Bible says. And she was unable to be able to foretell the future anymore. And because of that, Paul made it. He was like, on, he literally... He had uh, contracts on his life from that point on. Listen, when Paul went to Ephesus and so many people came to Christ that they stopped worshiping idols, the people, the artisans, the craftsmen, the people that were making the idols, see, kingdom of God will change things. 
When the message of the kingdom goes forth, you know what happens? When all of a sudden you go into a place and you begin to preach and we rise up as a body, not just a preacher, not just an individual, not just a guest speaker at Glorifier Church, but we as a body of Christ rise up. We seek the face of God. We surrender. We move away from sin. We consecrate our lives. The Bible says in Hebrews 1, 9 that Jesus was anointed more than his brothers with the oil of gladness because he hated sin and he loved righteousness. And then the Bible said from that point, we walk in that anointing and we go forth and then we start seeing people delivered from demons, delivered from drug addiction, delivered from this and that. And enough people get delivered in an area and then that drug dealer, he's going to have to find a new job. We were down in Sarasota, this is a few years ago, and one of the young guys that we helped um, mentor for a while, we had a school of ministry, and so, you know, he ended up coming to the school of ministry, he and his wife, he's in ministry now, and he, he brought a, uh, a young lady to where we were speaking. At the end of the meeting, he came up and he said, can you pray for her? And so Lynn and I, we went over to her and we prayed for her. And as we laid hands on her, you could see the manifestation of the enemy, and she fell out under the power of the Holy Spirit. And when she fell down on the ground, she was laying on the ground, I had a vision. In the vision, I saw her. I knew it was her. And she was on a, on a bicycle. She was like riding a bike. And she was riding this bike, and all of a sudden in this vision, it was like someone called her. And she stopped and she looked in the direction of the voice. And in the dream or in the vision, I could see like a black silhouette. Couldn't make out who it was. I just saw like a black silhouette of a man. And at that point, she got off the bike, laid it down on the sidewalk, walked towards this man. And I knew I felt an evil presence. I knew he was not good. She walked towards this man. And then I heard a voice, the voice of the Lord say this, tell her it's time to get back on the bicycle. So she comes, she comes through after being slain out under the power of the Spirit. And I said to her, you know what? I want to just tell you what I saw. And so I relayed to what I had, I had just seen in this vision. And she began to weep. And she, began, she was like hysterical. And I said, what happened? She said, she said, listen, the reason why I came here tonight, she said, is because she said, I'm an addict. And she said, I've struggled for a long time. But... About a year ago, I had, I had been free for, for, for quite some time. I think she said like six months or so. She said, but about a year ago, she said, I went and I literally took my bicycle and I decided I needed to go somewhere. And she said, and I went through the old neighborhood where I used to live on my bicycle. And she said, as I did, there was my former drug dealer. He called my name. I got off the bicycle. I left it on the sidewalk. I walked over to him and I started using drugs. And for the past year or so, I've been back on drugs again. And she said, the funny thing is, she said, I believe she said she was going somewhere like a Bible study or something. And she left the bicycle on the sidewalk. She never, ever picked it up. She left it there. And when I told her that, she was like freaked out. Wouldn't you? See that, God, I had no idea. That's all I just said. This is what I see. And you see, the Lord wants to move in miracles. He wants to move in power. He wants to raise us up. We are called to carry his glory. We are called to represent him. As I said to you, you know, there's so many scriptures that talk about this. The Bible says that he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think in Ephesians 3.20, right? 
But, no, you know, most of us, we say God is able to do immeasurably, you know, exceedingly abundantly or immeasurably more than all we could ask, think, or, you know, and, and then we say that, like God is able to, but that's not what the verse says. The rest of the verse says, according to the power that works in us. Yeah, read it. Ephesians 3.20, according to the power that works in us. What does that mean? The heaven, even the heavens is the Lord, but the earth he's given to the sons of men. Psalm 115, verse 16. In the book of Revelation, it says when Jesus comes back, he will destroy those who destroyed the earth. You're not talking about the environment, those who are environmentally insensitive. Okay? You're not talking about those who, who pollute or whatever. He's going to destroy those who... Okay? What's he saying? Those who destroyed the earth. How do we destroy the earth? By our sinful activities, but also through not advancing the kingdom. By being religious, by preaching a gospel of churchianity that says just raise your hand and say a prayer... And you'll go to heaven. But when Jesus said, I want to bring heaven to earth, I want to fill you with my glory and my anointing so you can go forth like Paul. You can go forth like Peter. You can carry my presence everywhere you go. You can heal the sick. You can cast out demons. When you walk into a room, people come under conviction. They go, there's something different about her. There's something different about him. When I first got saved, one of the things that that God exposed me to was an amazing anointing by a great man of God. And I learned when that man of God would show up, he would walk into a room. He would walk into an auditorium. Everything shifted. Everything shifted. And the Lord showed me, he said, son, he said, you're not called to be a thermometer. You're called to be a thermostat. You can change the atmosphere. You can change that because you carry the anointing. And the Lord began to tell me, he said, he began to teach me. Nobody taught me this. He began to teach to me. He said, so many people basically, you know, are speaking to God about how, complaining to me about how big their mountains are. And he said, but when you step into the apostolic, when you step into the the power of the kingdom, you're going to begin to speak to your mountains. You're going to begin to speak to those things about how great your God is. And then the Lord began to show me that when Jesus was on the earth, he prayed in public, but he commanded and he prayed and he prayed in private and he commanded in public he got alone he prayed but then when he came out he said Lazarus come forth take up your bed in mind what come out of her come out see he commanded things and in the Greek language they're military commandments that he's giving military commands he's giving in other words do you think I'm joking right remember the the, the Gadarian the, the the legion right it says we, he said, come out. In the Greek, it says that Jesus had been saying many times, come out. And the, and the legion was like, nope, nope, nope. And then Jesus like, what's your name, right? He's like, ooh, okay, a legion. Okay, so Jesus pressed in. Jesus like, okay, okay. I still got the same anointing and authority. You remember the disciples, right? Jesus is up on the mountain. He comes down. Peter, James, and John, here's the remaining disciples arguing with the son, the father. I brought my son to your disciples. You know, he's, he needs healed. He needs delivered. They couldn't cast the demon out. Jesus, how long shall I put up with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring the boy to me. Get out of him. Come out of him. The spirit comes out instantly, immediately. And then what ends up happening later on? They're like, Jesus, how come we couldn't do that? Why couldn't we cast him out? And what did he do? He began to talk. In one account, it says, because of this kind comes out by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Another account, Matthew's account in the 17th chapter, it actually says he said to them, because you don't have faith as a mustard seed. What do I mean? It does not say in the Greek language, you don't have faith. You need to have faith the size of a mustard seed. That is not correct. 
It is the Greek word ho, which means as or like to be compared to. Faith that is like unto a mustard seed. Smith Wigglesworth understood this revelation. He wrote a book, and he talked about it often. It's called, actually, it's a compilation. It's called Ever Increasing Faith. What did Smith Wigglesworth, he talked about ever increasing faith. What does that mean? Jesus said a mustard seed is the smallest seed. If you've ever been to the Middle, the Middle East or Israel and you've seen a mustard seed, it's like a speck of black pepper. But then it grows and it basically is like a tree. And then he said, look, this is what mustard seed is like. It grows. It grows. So the idea is this, that your faith must be growing. It must continually be growing. Wigglesworth said ever-increasing faith, ever-increasing, ever-increasing. So the disciples had cast out demons. They had already healed the sick, but when they came to this situation, they weren't able to do it. Jesus said ever-increasing. So he said, what? Without prayer and fasting. You've got to be giving yourself to prayer. You can't miss prayer. You've got to get alone with me. Not religious prayer, but communion with my spirit. Communion with me. And as you keep growing, and as you keep growing and walking in faith, and you keep doing the right things and being obedient, he said, your faith will increase. It says in Romans 1.17 that the righteousness that God has given us from faith to faith. And the Bible says that faith that leads to faith. Faith that springs even into more faith. So it's faith that goes from one level of faith to the next level of faith. Because day David took down a, he took down a bear, he took down a lion, and then he said, because I took down the bear and I took down the lion, I can take down this giant. You see, it's this faith. And so, you know, when, when, when people get, we were in the Philippines about three years ago, we took a team, it was a different mission trip, and we went to a very dark area in the Philippines. It's an area where it's predominantly Muslim. But most of the, the, the Muslim religion there is mixed with witchcraft. A lot of that happens in Pakistan and other places too. So we go down there. We're ministering in schools. And then the other team is out in this slum area right by the water. And we get a, a call on our cell phone. Can you guys come right away? So we go down there and we get there. And we walk in this old wooden shack. And there's a woman there. And this woman is chained against the wall. And as soon as we walked in, she snapped the chains. She began to throw the chains. She had been, in fact, she had actually, I think she had, they let her go earlier, but she snapped the chains. And she started getting violent and speaking. She didn't speak English. She began to speak perfect English. And then what ended up happening, because you know who was speaking. So we began to take authority over that. And every time she tried to hurt people, we say no. And she'd fall back down. You can't do this in Jesus' name. She'd fall back down. She'd fall back down. And the team, we had many young people that were with us in the team. They'd never seen anything like that before. And they saw the authority and the power that Jesus has against every principality and every demon. And we told, the team, we told the pastors, you guys got to take care of this. This is pretty serious. This woman had actually been gone through a wedding ceremony to Satan, and her, she had been married. I think this was her third husband. Her husband's just dropped dead in the middle of the night. And this husband was outside. He's a Muslim. He's watching. He's freaked out. He's like, oh, my God, I'm going to die. Her last husband died. The husband before that, he's like literally thinking he's going to die. And you see... There's a place of power and authority that God has given to us, but it's not for those who just say, in the name of Jesus, come out. No, there were seven sons of Sceva. He was a high priest. They said, hey, you know what? Paul is preaching in the name of Jesus Christ, and demons are listening to this guy, Paul. Let's try it. Let's use the name of Jesus. And, and so they, they find this man, and they walk up to him, and the Bible says, they say, in the name of Jesus Christ, whom Paul preaches... We adjure you, come out of this man 
And the demons in the man looked at him and said, Paul I know, and Jesus I know, but who are you? Like, come on, are you kidding? Like, are you serious? Oh, come on, man. You guys have no anointing, you have no authority. And when, you, when we say in the name of Jesus, it's like the magic formula. It does, that's not what it means. You say in the name of Jesus all you want. The devil say you don't represent him. In the name of Jesus means I come in his name. I come in his authority. I'm his ambassador. I'm his representative. As the Father sent him, so send I you. And so in other words, I carry the same anointing and the same power that Jesus had. There's a big difference. So how do we transform a nation? How do we transform a nation? How do you eat an elephant? Right? How do you eat an elephant? Come on, now how many have eaten an elephant, right? Like, I've been to Africa many times, I've never eaten an elephant. But listen, what happens is what? One person. One person. Do you understand that today, today, what God has called us to do will not be accomplished by great and anointed healing evangelists or apostles or prophets. We're living in a time and a season. Bill Hammond wrote about it many years ago. He he called it the day of the saints. This is the day of the saints. Listen, what does that mean? It means that you are called, every one of you, as his children. You're part of the body to carry his anointing. When your kids are sick, you call on the pastor. These signs shall follow them. Listen, you know, oh, by the way, guess what? I, I, people message and they say, look, I'd like to, I, I was planning on coming to the meeting, but I'm sick. We, we used to... People used to come to church and ask to be prayed for if they were sick. But now they don't come. Seriously, think about it. Think about it. There's a man named Elijah. Sent by God. Elijah had the word of the Lord. Elijah says, there will be no dew, no rain, except at my word. And immediately the heavens were sealed close. There was a great famine that overtook the land, became a drought. During that time when everything was hell, people were suffering. Elijah was hidden at a brook called In Hebrew, Kareth. He was hidden. First Kings 17, verse 3. Elijah, go hide yourself at the brook Cherith. Elijah, while you're there, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to send ravens. They're going to bring you bread and meat in the morning, bread and meat in the evening, and you can drink the water from the brook. I'm going to take care of you. So here's Elijah at the brook Cherith. No Xbox, no iPhones, no television, no friends. He was there for a while. 
We know the famine was three and a half years. So what happens is he's there, hidden. The word hidden literally can be translated secret place. Secret place. He was hidden in the secret place. And when he was there in that secret place, the Lord was revealing to him powerful things because the word carrieth means this. It means to cut a covenant, to cut a covenant. Carrieth is a place of covenant, to cut a covenant. You know, in the Hebrews in that day, they had what was called a Caesarean covenant. And, and that covenant would literally be instituted through the cutting of an animal. They would take, for example, an ox, and they would cut that animal in half, and they would lay the piece, separate the pieces, and then the two parties would walk like a figure-eight pattern, and they would meet in the middle between the two pieces, and they would pronounce the terms of the covenant, and then they would command the blessings and the curses. There would be an exchange of garments. There would be a different exchange that would take place. And it would say, your enemies are my enemies. Your debts are my debts. And they would make this exchange and this commitment to one another. But they said, if any one of us violates the terms of the covenant, we will be cursed like this dead bull. That's why it's called to cut a covenant. Jesus cut the new covenant with his blood. And Jesus says, obedience, don't break my covenant. He wants to bring us into alignment in this season. You see, when Israel was on Mount Sinai, God revealed his covenant. But just before they crossed into the promised land, 40 years later, even in Joshua's time, he, he, what did he do? He renewed the covenant with them. See, this is a season, I believe, in which God is calling his people to renew covenant. When we look at Elijah, we think during this time of famine and drought, we see a man who's hidden, and we think the main reason, perhaps, even the only reason for Elijah being at the brook Cherith was, pres- was provision for his preservation. Provision for his preservation. But the truth is, God had another reason. God could have fed him anywhere. But God said, hide, go into the secret place. It can be translated to draw near as well. And hide at the brook Cherith. Because there at the brook Cherith, I'm going to do a work in your life, Elijah. Not only will I make provision for your preservation, but preparation for your promotion. There's a place that I want to take you, Elijah. I want you to understand the terms of my covenant. And I want you to renew the terms of my covenant. Because in that place, in that secret place, is where God speaks to us. He speaks to us. He reveals his truth. He reveals his mystery. In fact, the word translated hide can be rendered secret place... But in Judges chapter 3, verse 19, 
The word is translated secret message. It's the place of a secret message. Where do you think was going on with Elijah? Guys, he was being flooded with revelation. The father was speaking to him, revealing things to him. It was the place where he was hidden to receive the secret message. The secret message. It was a place where God was clearly speaking to him. There is such a place, a profound communion and intimate fellowship, that when we go there in the spirit, when we go there, very few people go there. But when we go there, the Father shares his secrets with us. Psalm 25, 14, the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. He was hidden in the secret place at Kerith, the place of the covenant. Psalm 25, 14 in the Passion Translation says this, there's a private place reserved for the lovers of God where they sit near him and receive the revelation secrets of his covenant promises. Everything Elijah did, he did in response to the word of the Lord. When he said no rain, it was in response to the word of the Lord. In the third year, 1 Kings 18.1, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, go show yourself to Ahab. What did he say? Elijah said, I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. The word sound in Hebrew means voice. I hear a voice. I hear a voice. He heard the voice of God. He didn't hear, obviously, rain. It hadn't rained yet. He, not until he went on the top of Mount Carmel and prayed seven times did it rain. But he heard in the spirit a voice, the voice of God. When he stood before the nation, when he called the nation, and he said, you call on your God, priests of Baal, and I'll call upon my God. And the God who answers by fire, he's the true and living God. Do you know what the people said? They said, okay, it is well spoken. Do you know before that, when he challenged them, he said this. He said, how long, O Israel, will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, serve him. If Baal is God, serve him. Hot or cold, you cannot be lukewarm. And the Bible says the people answered him not a word. That's a pretty strong message. And the people were like, whatever. You know what I'm saying? Listen, guys, we are at a place in this nation where the preaching of the word alone is no longer moving hearts. So Elijah said, okay, you're not moved. You're not responding. He said, I'm going to take it up a notch. Here, get a sacrifice, kill it, lay it on the altar. You call on your God. I'll call on my God, the God that answers by fire. He's a true and living God. The people said, it is well spoken. Okay, Elijah, show down at the okay corral. So what happens is, you know, the priests of Baal, the prophets of Baal, they're mocking, they're, you know, they're, they're doing their thing, they're calling on them, and Elijah's mocking them. You know the story. By the way, in the Hebrew, 
he actually said, is your God on the toilet? I don't know if you knew that, but in the Hebrew, he said, where's your God? Is he on the toilet? Like, I mean, is he taking it? I mean, you know, and, and so he's pretty, pretty, yeah, come on now. That's what he was saying. And, and so what ends up happening is nothing, no answer, no response, nothing. So Elijah stands up and he prays a prayer. I'm going to paraphrase it because I don't have it right here in front of me, but I'm going to paraphrase it. In fact, just, just a second. I may actually have this. Yeah, I do have it. It came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near. Wow. Three and a half years, silence. No God. People were crying. They were crying out to God. They were, they were pleading, I'm sure some of them, nothing. Nothing. He's silent. Why? Because it wasn't the time. Because Elijah hadn't released the word. Why did Elijah release the word? How did he release the word? Did he just say, well, I think it's a good time? No, he heard the voice. Then he released the word. Elijah the prophet came near and he said, listen to this. It's one of the most powerful prayers. Okay, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel... Let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord. Hear me that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then the Bible says, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. No answer, no response to His preaching. But when God answered by fire, proclamation did nothing demonstration was the answer. But you see, at that point, they turned back to God. I want you to notice something. There's no indication that during this famine, this drought, that the people were sorrowful or repentant. In fact, when Elijah confronted Ahab and he went to meet him, the very first thing King Ahab said was, what do you want, O troubler of Israel? Like, I mean, if I was like Elijah, I would be like, oh my gosh, like three and a half years of this and you haven't learned anything? God, just take them out. You know, like, just like kill them. Like, you know, I mean, I remember Elijah already called them fire on people. So no big deal. But anyway, or was that later? Maybe later. But anyway, the point is, <laughs> here he is, right? Like no repentance. And God's still like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna answer. I'm gonna turn this generation back to me. They don't deserve it. They're not sorrowful. They're still wicked. They're still worshiping Baal. They're still following Jezebel. But I'm going to step in and save the day. I'm going to intervene. Why? Because I'm God. I'm God. And I'm not willing that any should perish. And I so love the world. I'm God. And I want to save a generation. 
Hosea 3, 5 says this, they will come trembling to the Lord and to his goodness in the last days. To his goodness. Romans 10, 20, I was found by those who did not seek me. I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. But to Israel, all day long, I stretched out my arms to a disobedient people. Healing the land, turning the hearts of the people. The question isn't where is the God of Elijah? But as Ravenhill said many years ago, he said the question should be where are the Elijahs of God? Where are the Elijahs of God? Where is the Elijah generation that will shut themselves in with God, that will renew and make a covenant with the Lord, that will go into that secret place and stay there until they have the word of the Lord? So they come out with power and authority and fresh oil and fresh anointing and glory on their life. And they go forth in power and authority. They fear not, nor do they flinch before any man. God is wanting to raise up a people like this who will preach his kingdom. Preach his kingdom. Preach that there is a king. His name is Jesus. And every knee must bow to him. And every tongue will confess who he is in every nation. But you see, after the demonstration of the fire of God, Elijah realized that it wasn't enough. As needed as the demonstration of God's goodness was, he knew he must further contend for the reversal of the curse and the healing of the land. Fire was good, but rain was also needed. The return of rain was proof that the Lord had forgiven the nation and restored his covenant blessing. So he prayed, you know the story, seven times. Then the rain came and brought healing to the land. You see, the, God is looking for an Elijah people. A people, Elijah knew who he was. He knew who, who his God was. He walked in that anointing, in that glory. He had the word of the Lord. Guys, it's so important that we get back to a life of holiness and consecration and getting in the secret place and seeking after God and worshiping God, not for what he can give us, but for who he is. The Bible says worship him in the beauty of his holiness. It means to delight in the beauty of his holiness. Delight yourself in the Lord. Is what it said, not in his promises and his provision, but in his person and his presence. Delight yourself in him. You will have all that you need. God is looking for a people today that will stand before him, hear his voice, enter the secret place and go forth. A people that will come and carry the anointing and the glory. A people that will release the power of his kingdom. Because the Bible says the, God, the kingdom of God is not in word, logos, but it's in power, dunamis, 1 Corinthians 4.20. It's not in word, logos, but it's in power, dunamis. We need power. We need power. We need power. Hi, I'm Flo from Progressive. Being a baseball fanatic like me can be stressful. It's not all sports points and touchdowns. So Progressive is going to help you take your mind off your team for a moment. Instead of thinking about how they missed that goal point score, think about the Name Your Price tool from Progressive letting you choose coverage options based on your budget. Unlike your team that missed the end zone net area. Well, anyway, hope this distraction about Progressive's Name Your Price tool was helpful. It sure kept me from thinking about all those penalty balls. 
Sports. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.